Yo, and welcome to the 51st episode of Lake of Rage, a Pokemon trading card game podcast. I am your host, as always, Kevin Clementi, aka Mellow underscore Magikarp, and I'm joined today by my two roommates at Salt Lake City and two very mediocre temporary guest hosts. Joining us once again is Grant, aka Boo underscore CK. Yo. And we have Locke, aka Dullock. Hey. I'm in a very cheap hotel right now, so I'm I'm on my cell data. Perfect. I was about to say Locke sounds like a potato because he's on his phone joining us, but that works. So we're going to get into a very special episode. Now, unfortunately, we did break our streak of one episodes in a row featuring the regional champion before the regional happened. But we got close. Two of the members of the podcast from last week made day two. Unfortunately, day two didn't quite go well enough. And of course, Pedro didn't make day two because Pedro wasn't there. So we might have had the Liverpool champion on. We'll find out about that one a little bit later. But we have a special episode for you today. We're going to be talking about the results of Salt Lake City and how we think it's going to shape the meta a little bit moving forward. And then most of the episode is going to be us talking about our experiences. All three of us played in Salt Lake City and had varying levels of success. So we'll talk about all of those things, how the weekend went, etc., etc. So let's go ahead and talk about those results. First off, uh, I'm going to very quickly run through it, and then I want to give you all to give kind of some ideas of how you think the meta is going to be shaped. And also, you know, we don't have the actual day one numbers or the metagame share yet. RK9 usually publishes that. We only have the day two results. So we're also going to talk a little bit about what we saw around the tables compared to what actually converted. So Yeah, I asked them. They, they said they were working on getting it for a website, and that was during day two. So couple days apparently but yeah they're that should be up soon i guess yes uh, i think i heard they said like a week oh to get the re- those results so from my understanding rk9 going from rk9.com to rk9.gg has to kind of rewrite everything in addition to rewriting the whole format on how to identify different decks for the metagame yeah. pie chart so they have multiple pieces to rework everything with limitless does it pretty smoothly i'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> shout out to limitless be sure if you have any extra disposable income and you use them and you should uh join their patreon i'm a member boo you're a member lock are you a member no all right well two-thirds that's still a pretty good endorsement to give them a little bit of money if you can but anyway going to those top eight results we saw zero mu v max in top eight which by now if you're listening to this podcast you're probably already aware of that fact and that is the thing that everyone in the world is talking about uh, doesn't mean Mew wasn't successful. We'll get to that in a little bit, though. We had Drew Kennett coming in first with Arceus Gengar VMAX. No single strike energies. Built very much to beat Mew with weakness. And between Tool Scrapper and Choice Belt, Oko opposing Arceus decks. Super cool list. He was my one loss in day two. So shout out to Drew for taking that dub. Finnegan Lynch came in second with Suicune Ludicolo, a list that I never would have even been brave enough to test. So shout out to Finn for that one. Zachary Cooper coming in third with typical boring single strike Gengar VMAX. Nicholas Moffat and Ian Robb played almost the same 60 Arceus, Galarian Moltres, Zapdos, etc. Gabe Smart coming in sixth place with a Gengar VMAX very similar to Zach Cooper's. Xander Perro coming in seventh with the Arceus Inteleon with a one of Sydney. And then technically coming in eighth, we have Andre with Jolteon due to a DQ, which we're not going to get too much into, but the person who actually made top eight, quote unquote, actually, Andre had bubbled, got DQ'd for some marked sleeves. Uh, don't 
do that chat room or listeners or anyone <laughs> be careful resleeve your deck whether it was on purpose or not always be sure to pay attention to your sleeves resleeve before day two all that good stuff whenever you can well, it's clearly on purpose if they dq'd him you can't necessarily make that claim but also clearly there was something about the way the sleeves were marked that gave them that idea and I've heard a lot of rumors about, oh, specifically the four double turbo energies that were marked, which maybe cool. if, if you're going to mark a card, that's a pretty good one to mark. Yeah. Four times. So what do we think about this meta moving forward? How is this going to actually shape everything for Liverpool? And then we have Indy in like a month and we have EUIC in about that same amount of time. Is this now Gengar's world? Is fighting decks the new BDIF because everything in here is fighting weak? What are we expecting things to go with? Yeah, you said earlier the uh, rock, paper, scissors doesn't exist. Was that you? Um, yeah. I think it's, it's back online right now with that exact point with fighting. Um, you know, the Zapdos is the easiest tech, right? But we've seen, you know, uh, your first round was a rapid strike Urshifu which seems like an easy add. Anything can really be added to Arceus, right? Yeah, we'll get Santa into Canada. the actual run, but shout out to my round one opponent for making day two, both him and his friend with the same 60, who played a 2-2 Urshifu VMAX line in their Arceus <laughs> deck, which was pretty darn cool. Yeah, so I think it's just finding the right partner. Um, I don't think much has changed, but uh, today, or last night, I made a different list than the Gyarados list uh, Nick played, um, which had the Jolteon, because everybody plays Inteleon. Um, and so maybe that's something that we start to see to counter the the popular Arceus-type deck. But um, it's really just finding the best partner for your Arceus. And Gengar obviously hits 250, hits the hardest uh, per energy cost, and has the good typing. Versus, like, I played uh, Duraludon, and the trade-off there is no weakness and uh, the ability, but everybody plays a path or two, so. Yeah, I think it's, fighting yeah. is going to see more of a play, but I also think Dunsparce has to see more play in Arceus decks. Like, I didn't play them. I'm pretty sure Xander's list didn't play them. And a lot of the other, in fact, the people playing the fighting Pokemon didn't play them either. So it seems like Dunsparce has just been, like, Eh, it's not worth it. And I stand by it. Two of my three losses were to fighting decks. But it's like, it was not the right call at that point, but I think Dunsparce finding its way into Arceus builds is going to be pretty important, at least for the short term, because currently everyone wants those fighting-type Pokemon. Yep. Mm -hmm. So now what about Gengar? Gengar was the giant meme of the format. Is it no longer a meme? Are we finally going to respect Gengar's power, or is this like a random one-off? tournament well it's always been powerful uh the issue had always been the, the standard build right and the inconsistency of setting it up now you have a partner but no um single strike energies seems tough because a charmed arceus is tough to knock out tool scrapper but can you find it and then i'll say add two of them and then you'll say <laughs> cut oh cut both of them <laughs> i can very safely say after playing drew uh, yes, they will find them. <laughs> Fun fact, Starbirth lets you find any card you want. Yeah, it's actually pretty easy to find cards in Arceus decks. 
Yeah, especially with the B-Barrel engine. There was one point where we were playing. He had drawn so many cards, and then he researched, and I'm like, no, you've supported. He's like, no, I haven't. We went through the discard pile. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> you've just, it's, it's Mew at that point. He had drawn like seven or eight cards off of these B-Barrels, and then still was able to research. So yes, they are able to find what they want. Not when they want it without the Inteleon engine, but they were able to find them pretty darn well. So I think the one of Scrapper was plenty. But yeah, I am a big fan of Drew's list. I've never been a huge fan of Houndoom, and I know both of you are going to disagree with me on that one. You're both big Houndoom single strike fans. But yep. Arcus feels so good. Every time you play it, it covers so much stuff. It's so consistent. So heading forward, I'm way ahead on the Arceus Gengar over the Gengar single strike. Just because I love the consistency of Arceus. I love, they both have the same weakness which is unfortunate, but Arcus is offers so much flexibility. You can throw in a random tech here or there. You can throw in Sharon's Care to play the two-hit game, you know, all this other stuff. Versus Single Strike feels a little more linear of, like, set up and go boom. But uh, what about you two? Are you two still think Single Strike Gengar is better than Arceus Gengar, or did Drew kind of sell you a little bit on it? I mean, I'm not opposed to putting the energies in there to get that extra boost or something. I mean, I, I, I like it. Um, uh, I like single strike on itself, like the Durell don't, you have extra supporters and tool cards that you can play as well. You know, I'm a big fan of Karen, obviously, um, and the stadium. So there's still room to wiggle there, but, um, I think just the fact that it hits 250 for three is, is really just the important thing in the, in the typing. Um, as long as Mew's going to be, if, what was it end up like 40% of day two? Yeah, Mew was, it was something like that. It was over a third of day two. Yeah, yeah. it was like 32. It was 32 out of 72, whatever that match so ends up being. So you cover your bases there, and then the rest of the matchups, uh, you know, with the with the belt, you hit a, a charmless Arceus. So it's kind of the perfect math either way. So what about Suicune? Is Suicune good, or is this just Finn is very good at the game? Anyone who's never heard of Finnegan Lynch, uh, go check out his Limitless page. He's been around for a while. He is definitely a mad scientist as far as taking Tier 2 decks very far in tournaments and really optimizing them and playing them optimally. So is Suicune good, or is it Finn's just a very good player who played very well, a deck that no one was expecting? I think a couple of people were expecting Suicune, but... Because that was like the big selling point of Suicune in the last format. That it was pretty good against uh, Mew, but then Jolteon became the second best deck, and then everybody stopped playing Suicune. See, last format, Mew just bodied, not bodied Suicune, but it definitely had a favored matchup because a smart, correction, a smart Mew player who just chose not to fill their entire bench just kind of won those games most of the time. A smart Mew player. They they do yeah. exist. I can confirm <laughs> a couple of my Mew players did play very well. Or my Mew opponents. Yeah. So I don't I'm I like Suicune, and maybe it's because I helped Drew test a little bit. Shout out to Drew for making day two with Suicune Ludicolo. His day two did uh not go well, unfortunately, ending up in like 60 something place. But I think Suicune is a very good deck, but it still feels so sketchy because you have to pull off these. Ludicolo plays to KO Arceus's, and then it's like, 
that's a lot. You have to Ludicolo so many times to go through three different Arceuses. It feels just so sketchy to actually win consistently with this deck. And I, I'm kind of subscribing to the fact it is a tier two deck that a tier one player played into a bunch of tier two players. Cause let's be honest, even the best of us are kind of tier two right now <laughs> with the amount of practice yeah. we have or haven't gotten. I appreciate yep. <laughs> that. That's that's a big boost to where I'd place myself, but Oh no, you're um, like tier five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think anyone who's played Suicune uh more than once knows the power and the capability it has, but like you're saying, you know, now that it's you're going into Arceus and it's two prizes instead of three, um pulling off the combo three times uh is a little more difficult, right? Yeah, that's my biggest thing that sketches me out. Now, it does have some cool matchups, so otherwise, because of Raihan. Raihan into the, uh, oh my gosh, Aqua Bullet Inteleon, the Shady Dealings Inteleon. Being able to also spread a little bit of extra damage to help soften stuff up. Against single prizers, being able to shove Cape of Toughness on there and saying, I am absolutely massive, and I'm going to make you take seven prizes to win this game. So, I think it's good, for sure. I think the big problem is... Is it good enough moving forward in the hands of most of us? And I'm super happy to try it again. Vancouver is the same format, so I'm going to be testing hard for Vancouver. Indy is low on my list of possibilities, but not out of the realm of possibility, too. So I think Suicune is worth checking out for sure. Yeah, what do you guys think, you know, when it's a, like a smaller share, like two or three? Um, you know, I played three Mews in a row. And so you kind of get into a habit of playing something and then to see something just you don't expect, does that, you know, regardless of the deck, I guess, in this case, does it help being a rogue deck in that in that situation? I think for sure, especially early in the format, the majority of people I don't think have played as many games as they say they've played. And if they have, it's like a lot against, oh, well, my friend's playing Mew, so I'm going to help them test, you know, and they just ram into the same deck. And I think it does help a lot because. We see this every single format, and we talked about this a lot, those of you who have been listening to the pod since episode, like, 12 or whatever. Everyone kind of follows the same flowchart for matchups, and if people haven't downloaded that flowchart yet, then they're kind of SOL in a lot of matchups where they have to go on the fly. And so I think it is really good at the start of a format to be that kind of Suicune deck, or if you have a completely new rogue deck. But I don't... It usually doesn't help against the good players, but... Finn got second. Finn beat a lot yeah. of the good players. So clearly there is some level of power to this deck. Because it's like, oh, if you got like 30th place, yeah, you know, maybe those losses were to the good players who didn't have to do a flow chart. But I think there's value to it, but also I don't know if I'd call this placement purely like I kind of caught us off guard and we weren't ready for Sweet Coon. Maybe not with Tex. That's another big because, like, as Tool Scrapper helps a ton against Suicune, but I didn't play Scrapper. You were playing Arceus Duraludon, so you two might have played Scrapper because it actually kind of fits in that deck. I don't know if you did. Did not. Nope. So, yeah, that's one of those cards that, like, when you don't expect Suicune, a 260, 270 HP basic Pokemon is terrifying, especially when it can Oko you. Um, what else got there? We already talked a little bit about the Arceus stuff. I'm a big fan of Ian Robb's list. I did lose to one of his teammates, Andrew Scott, in day one on my first of two winning ends because they played a Cape of Toughness for their Galarian Zapdos. Speaking of not playing a tool scrapper, I wasn't ready. 
I was ready for them to drop a big charm on it. And I'm like, I can handle a big charm. Like, that's no big deal. The extra 20 HP means that Zapdos was able to take four prizes off of me. And that's checkmate at that point. Yeah. That was absolute genius by them. And I love that so much. <laughs> Do you have any other thoughts on those lists played by Ian and Nick and probably a few other people throughout the rest of day two? Um, I don't know, Locke, what do you think? I, I We were kind of looking at something similar. I don't think with the big Moltres, but, um... Uh, I was I was more interested into the, uh, Rahul, uh, yeah. Radner list, because I already mentioned those concepts to you last week, and Mel, you just shut them down instantly. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, though, I would like to point out, I went 401 against me without Sydney. So, I don't know if Sydney would not have been the best deck choice for or deck slot for me. Well, you, you're playing other attackers. They're literally just playing Antonio or Arceus only. Yes, they have a little more room. And they also fit the B barrel in there, which I think is super interesting. Because uh, listening to Bradner talk on multiple like podcasts and YouTube stuff, talking about how the deck was complete trash. And then he's like, oh, we put a 1 1 B barrel line, and suddenly the deck is God tier. And I'm like, Maybe I really want to try it. There's literally no way it's that good, but also if the one one B barrel line makes the deck flow that much smoother, I'm all for it because the deck flowed really smoothly without the one one B barrel line. So that's the part I'm most interested in. Not necessarily the Sydney, though I will admit Locke told me to play Sydney like a week before yeah. the tournament started, and I got talked out of it by shout out well, Pedro. You talk to me, yeah. You talk to me, yeah. Yeah, you, you yeah. talking to Pedro talked us out. I had it sleeved yeah. up. <laughs> I say I'm by it, bro. I didn't need that trash. Yeah, right here. Yeah. But, but uh, okay, so going back to the B-barrel thing. Yeah. Uh, this just kind of reminds me of, like, some of the other decks where, like, I think, like, the Rapper Strike and Teleon VMAX deck. Everybody just said, added a 1 1 Octo line, and then they said, Oh man, this is flowing so much better now. And that kind of reminds me of the uh, B barrel, like just adding the 1 1 B barrel. I mean, drawing to only have five in hand is quite good. Especially, I just love B barrel because it synergizes with Ultra Ball, which I think is the best card in the deck. Like, I played three Ultra Balls, and people were constantly like, on the tweet or messages after I post the list, they're like, yeah, so, like, if I'm going to cut Ultra Ball, what should I play? And it's like, you just play a fourth Ultra Ball instead. Like, the card is <laughs> so ridiculously powerful to getting the turn one Arceus and to getting those late-game Drizziles. And the fact that B-Barrel makes Ultra Ball also just a draw supporter, essentially, makes me really interested to try out, even if it's just a 1-1 line. So I'm super curious if it's Ultra a Ball good. so gross. It, I, I only played three Quick Ball and four Ultra Ball. Granted, I only played, what, <laughs> uh, uh, 11 Pokemon. But it's like, I'm going to start one, so there's a basic that's out. I really only need a couple of Ultra Balls. Yeah, I think Arcus Duraludon, if you're going to cut a Quick Ball, is definitely a deck that can afford to do that. Because two-thirds of the time you're starting the Arceus anyway. Yeah. And then you just have so many outs to Duraludon because you can just Starbirth it out on turn two and you're generally fine. You can Mustard it out and then you're also fine. And yeah, there's this... We're both. Yes. 
Yeah, that's surprisingly how easy that deck plays. And then playing uh, other things, and, and we can talk about some of the other decks in the top. The the Flygon deck, Mustard is so easy to do to pull off with Starbirth. Yeah, the Flygon deck, which got officially ninth place, piloted by Charlie Lockyer. Uh, it's called a Flygon deck, but it also plays Sandaconda and two B drills that, of course, has that persistent sting attack that knocks out any Pokemon. Or sorry, your opponent's active if it has a special energy attached to it. Of course, we're looking at you, Mew, for being the uh, primary culprit of that one. And I do remember Cal coming over after it was like round two or three or one or something like that. He's like, I lost to a Sandaconda deck because he's playing Gengar. And it's like, bro, what? no like that's not a real thing <laughs> and then we just keep going it's like santa conda's 5-0 now like what is happening with this and i think the yeah. coolest thing is unlike urshifu unlike zapdos santa conda is grass weak not psychic weak so it's also viable to place down in the mew matchup as opposed to those other ones that are completely dead cards in the mew matchup and like actively very bad starters <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's that's such a cool deck. I made something kind of similar yesterday just to play with it. Um and just so many options and I think that the big selling point is like the Luminion, the Crobat, and all the cards that you don't want to really play. Uh I think like Bradner and those guys all played a Crobat and it's always like you don't play those cards because that's just so easy for Mew to knock out. But like once you get it going, like consistency right now is so good. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that deck, and uh, I'll probably be playing it a lot more through the next couple of weeks. They did. I completely missed that they played a Crobat in there. Uh, both Sander and Isaiah, and therefore probably Rahul as well. I think they were all in the same 60. All had one Crobat V in the deck. Yeah. Which, like, isn't terrible, obviously. Like, drawing cards is good. One more deck to round out top eight that we have to talk about because I kept saying this deck is good. I think I should play it. Jolteon appears to have come back from the dead yet again. Is Jolteon a real deck moving forward? And why is the answer yes? Luck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think Jolteon will beat all the bad new players, at least. So It also, I don't know. I did 2-0 a very good player with Jolteon in day two, and the matchup felt very good. But if Arceus decks are playing all the shenanigans instead of playing Sharon's Care, it's actually probably has a pretty good matchup against them. Like the Sharon's was just absolutely disgusting against them because they hit you twice, and then you suddenly are like, okay, now I'm just going to go share. Like they're three shotting your two prizer while you're two shotting their three prizer. Yeah. And you can out heal them pretty much every single time. Also, I'd say, I would say it's a bad play this weekend if people are going to add fighting techs like Zapdos to their deck this week. Yeah, Arceus decks with Zapdos actually answer that good players who don't bench a second Jolteon until they absolutely need it. Because before, people were like, oh, you play Zapdos for Jolteon. And then a good Jolteon player is like, well, I have Path and only one Jolteon. How are you going to do this? But now Arceus is like, I'm going to power up the Zapdos. And it's like, oh, um, this kind of feels pretty bad. Yeah. And even then, Arceus puts a lot of pressure on Jolteon that they do have to bench it. 
fairly early. So, yes, yeah, yeah, the play is right. They they hit once or twice, switch, hit Cheryl, and then but at that point you're doing what you said earlier. You're trading two prizes for three prizes, healing the same time. Yeah, and your heals. If you if you're smart about your bench, right? That's another big thing. If you're playing the Intellion engine, you don't bench four Sobbles. That's how you yeah. lose to Jolteon. I had one game against. It was in day two again. Shout out to Avarin for playing Jolteon. I was essentially dead drawing, but it was also like fine because I just had one Arceus in the active, and I'm like, well, I think I just win if I do this, and then bench another Arceus later to power it up. Like give them the two prizes. And then just, that's all I did. I'd never use Shady Dealings once in that entire game. And I still was able to pull it out. A little bit of luck on the side, too. We'll get there later. But Jolteon seems like a pretty good deck, depending on what the rest of the meta is going to end up being like. Because it can abuse path. It can snipe stuff. No one's playing Manaphy. No one should play Manaphy. At least not yet. But like you said, I think fighting's too good heading into this next weekend. Yeah, I think you're going to see a, a big splash of fighting techs and, and different creative, uh, you know, Europe's different, obviously. We'll see some creative stuff, maybe a lot of Rapid Strike Urshi. Uh, but one thing, and I tweeted out, um, checking the vendors, there was only one Jolteon V. So, you know, if you're planning to play it, don't expect to be able to pick up the cards <laughs> from a vendor. Um, yeah. And I checked three shops around here before I left, and I only got one V. So. Um, yeah, I checked out tabletop. Lo- and... Collectors, yeah, love all the EV stuff, so that's why it's always sold out. Yeah, it's competitive and collector based, and essentially only a promo unless you're buying the full arts, which are then rare. Yeah. So yeah, it's really got the kind of triple whammy of rare, collectively like important, and competitively viable. You guys want Flareons though? They got them. <laughs> no. And then we have the highest placing Mew VMAX, 10th place Caleb Gedimer, who is one of the best players in the game, if you're not familiar with the name because he doesn't play online. So Caleb was the one Mew player. No, there were two Mew players to make top uh, 25 at least. And there were a couple more near the end of the top 32. So Mew was there. Despite no in top eight, it got 10th, it got 15th, it got 30th. And then it also got uh, 73rd, 72nd, 70th, 69, 68, 67, 66, 65, <laughs> 63. And you kind of get the idea. Most of the bottom was uh, Mew with an Eternatus in there, too. Shout out to the Eternatus for somehow falling to the bottom tables in a sea of Mew at the bottom tables. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mew. Does this mean Mew is dead, everyone? Can't. Yeah, wait, what? Can't be dead. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, you yeah. have to sell me on that one. <laughs> no way. No, Mew is definitely still the deck to beat. It's yep. still so good. Yeah, that card is... Not the card, sorry. The whole archetype is just so disgustingly good. Like, as much path as there is, as much Galarian Moltres as there is, Mew is just still an absolute powerhouse and if you're like oh i've been testing you for liverpool and now i feel bad about my choice 
still play it. If you know how to play Mew, it was, like you said, about 40% of day two. I don't know what the conversion rate was, but that's a lot. It got bodied in day two, but that's fine. Like, that doesn't mean it's going to get bodied in day two in Liverpool. I think Mew is 100% a good play and 100% still the deck to beat. Do not go into Liverpool or anything saying, oh, I don't have to worry about Mew anymore. Yeah, you do. Mew is very good. Like, very, very good. It's not going nowhere. Yeah, it's, it was the safe play for points. Like, you know, clearly the highest odds of getting points. Yeah, I'm super excited to see what the actual conversion rate was. Yeah. And then uh, a couple others real quick. Gabe Shumway coming in with Malamar Inteleon, Rapistrike Malamar, Nathaniel Kaplan, who we had on the podcast a heck of a while ago. It was episode like 20-something. Yeah. With Malamar Cinchino. Cool. I think Rapistrike Malamar is very good. Another deck that I think is underexplored and on my radar for Vancouver. Because if people keep playing these big beatdown decks, the Gengars or the like, no Marnie or one Marnie Arceus versions. I think it's a good play. And then the one that I want to talk about was Moidas coming in 16th place with Hoopa Moltres, the deck <laughs> that I was not brave enough to play. And I love his list so much. One cape of toughness for the Galarian Zapdos because that bodies Arceus decks currently. It's got the Raihan, it's got multiple Cynthia's Ambitions, it's got the Moltres V instead of Sableye, which I was preaching right before too, because a smart Mew player doesn't attack with Meloetta, they attack with the Mew, and then you punish with the Moltres V. I'm super hype, I cannot wait to try out Moe's deck, and I hope it is as fun as the other version was. Not saying it's great, but it's probably like the BDIF, calling it now. Yeah, what else is different? They play a, it's a Bruno in there. Um, is the you're the rainy form cast form guy, right? No, I'm you're the water. Or I'm the colorless. I'm colorless. Yeah, yeah, colorless yeah. is yeah. cuter. Yeah, that's important. It's an important part if you're going to play the deck. I think so. <laughs> With that said, uh, one thing, and I'm going to leak this on the podcast. Any other Hoopa Moltres stance when you play the Cape of Toughness for Zapdos. I think, keywords think, the play is a hop if instead. It's got 40 HP, but you can shove the Cape of Toughness on it to make it have 90 HP in the games where you're not going to use the Zapdos. And most importantly, you can find it with Keep Calling. And mm -hmm. you always keep calling with the deck. I'm calling it now. I think we're, we're playing the Rapid Strike hop if next time I touch this deck. I'm leaking. Because uh, Vancouver is a very long way away. Yeah, that's weird to think about. We're we're talking about the next regionals, and obviously there is one this weekend. I don't think any anyone really is going, but uh, <laughs> I think the, the next... Europeans are going. <laughs> yeah, the next right. Speaking locally, I guess, but the next event is a month and a half. Yeah, probably May. Yeah, yeah. We go to UIC and then Indy in the middle of May, and then Vancouver, and then it's the next set releases, and there's only two North American tournaments with whatever the heck the next set is called, which is Wisconsin. Astral Radiance. There we go. Astral Radiance. Wisconsin and NAIC will have the new set. So, super interesting that uh, Pokemon has decided this layout. 
Now, of course, Vancouver, not Vancouver, Orlando got canceled. Orlando would have been that March regional, but it's still like the three regionals back to back to back to start off the season. Then suddenly like, eh, you'll get one and you'll be happy about it. EU gets one, NA would get one, and then May would come. So looking at the results, are there any other big thoughts that you have on how Salt Lake City is going to be shaping the meta moving forward? Anything else that you really liked? Coming out of day two, maybe anything you played against that you're like, I think this is a potentially a viable archetype. Are you ready to talk about our experiences? I mean, all right. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Well, one thing I was going back to the Gengar thing. So this is what I've been like kind of like theorying like the last like couple of weeks of just putting like the Arceus and the single strike engines of Gengar into one deck because like currently the single strike Gengar are, are playing like two Crobats and a Luminion and you can just easily change things out to make it a, a T2 Arceus and then change some of the dark hiding energies to a uh, double turbo or something like that and then then they have both single strike energy and the basic psychic or basic dark it sounds like it doesn't take so much room though because you're already playing four single strike energies that you normally only play seven energy so now you're cutting other stuff for basic energies and double turbo energies and a two two arceus line like, where are you finding well, the room for all this? Yeah. Well, and to make it worse, I was thinking then you add a Cheryl as well. Because if you have, <laughs> hound, if you have a Hound, if you have Houndoom and Arceus, then you can easily power something up, swap between them, heal them, stuff like that. But for me, my, what I'm thinking <laughs> is that you don't actually need the 4 4 Houndooms anymore. Then. No, you need one, yeah. really. Yeah, so you could cut that down to like two, a two. 3 2 line, one, yeah. something like that, yeah. Yeah, I don't hate that at all, and I think that's worth exploring, actually. Because then you're getting those numbers, too. And the scrap... Okay, so we're cutting a scrapper, then. There you go, Mello. We fixed it. I hate it completely, (laughs) but I'm interested to watch you try it, because I don't play single strike, so I could be wrong. Every time I touch single strike, it is just like, all right, delete. (laughs) Like, two games in, I'm like, I hate this thing. It's like Malamar all over again. Well, it's a patience. Well, it is a Malamar type deck, but it's patience. Single strike. You only need to hit once. That's not how six prizes work. It's close. You have to hit twice. Good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So are you ready to uh, jump into how our experience was in Salt Lake City this weekend? Let's go ahead and start. How about Friday? I wasn't there on Friday. I mean, I did arrive Friday, but let's talk about the pre-tournament stuff. What did y'all do before I was there? Uh, checked in to the, or dropped our bags off at the hotel and checked in. I thought the process was pretty smooth. They had like 30 people working. Um, I don't know. How how long did it take you? For the COVID you? checks. That, that yeah, is, the yeah. COVID checks. Um, how long did it take you? Because you did it Saturday morning, right? I actually took less than five minutes to get through everything because they, again, had about 30 people working. So yeah. it was just so fast. Yeah. Uh, big ups to Pokemon and the, the organizers because it was really well run. Uh, other than I thought the audio was 
couldn't hear couldn't hear the loudspeaker. Uh, and then the repairing, I didn't get a chance to beat Azul, so that's that was unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, there was a repairing one round, which I was disappointed in too. I did get to meet a listener of the podcast for that round, so that was super cool. Shout out nice. to my round three opponent, Blake, for that one. But I was up against someone with ETB sleeves at first, and I was like, oh, I am very happy to play this matchup. And then we got repaired, and I was like, oh, I actually have to go play someone. I hate to stereotype, but also, you see someone with ETB <laughs> sleeves, you're feeling good. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> I got uh, repaired into a Mew player, so it did not go well. <laughs> Drew won with the free Eevee sleeves. Yes, and I remember asking him about that because I'm like, you're use, you're brave enough to use the free sleeves, and he's like, these are actually really good. Like these are way better than all the ETB sleeves and stuff because they're made by Ultra Pro, so they give you free yeah. sleeves. They give you a playmat sleeves, a deck box, and a backpack with party registration, assuming you remember to pick it up. And apparently they're quite good, so I have to try them because he won with the free sleeves and he passed deck check with them. So. I, apparently they're good sleeves and they look cool so i'm into it i bought them in a walmart in maysville kentucky uh 20 early 2020 because i bought uh some cards there and i didn't have any sleeves and there was a pack of those eevee sleeves <laughs> and then they get them <laughs> year year and a half later was pretty cool I do also give it a shout out, though. One of the things that he said was they're great for locals or like a league cup or something. And I said, what about a regional? He's like, probably not. <laughs> but they, they did the job. So shout out to the free Eevee sleeves for winning the tournament. So it sounds like your Friday check-in went smoothly. My Saturday check-in went smoothly. We checked in, then uh, we went to eat. Luck yep. the place scouted out. It was a crown burger. It was like only like a block and a half north of the venue. Yeah, it was popping. It was a full house. Um, it's pretty good. Um, then we went to the grocery store, loaded up on snacks, met some cool people there. Uh, uh, <laughs> saved the story. <laughs> <laughs> um, then what? We went back. Uh, yeah, they, we had to check, wait to check into our hotel. It took forever to check in, like the full time. And I know other people in the hotel that, that got there got in right away, and maybe that was just our room. But um, yeah, we were just hanging out in the lobby for a little bit. Well, that was good. Like, Bradner and John Ang were in the, like, just a regular room, and we were yeah. in a giant suite. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, shout just out to check Grant. Check out my for... Discord. Yeah. yeah. Go to my Discord if you want to see a preview of our suite. <laughs> it was one of the nicest hotel rooms I've ever stayed in, for sure. It was a uh, the couch was bigger than my apartment, I think. Yeah, <laughs> nice couch, like firm enough, you know. Um, then uh, I went back, and we could. Well, I went back because I was trying to finalized my list i i realized I, I i was planning on playing two karen's conviction and i left one of my full arts at home and so i went back to go buy one and they didn't have it and i wasn't going to play mismatching arts or i wasn't going to play two of the regular arts so i ended up with one um which, which to my detriment 
It's unfortunate okay. because of all yeah. the bad two ofs you were trying to play. I think Karen's was the best bad two of. Yeah, definitely. It was good because it had synergy with the tower um, for drawing. Uh, had two mustards, two Karens, then obviously the VMAX um, and the stadium. So we had plenty of outs to draw more cards, which the deck sorely needs. Yeah, despite the... And we'll let Grant hasn't even said how he did, or Locke hasn't said how he did yet either. But despite the performances, <laughs> I think Tower of Darkness and Duraludon is 100% correct. I loved that when I was testing it. And it just makes Mustard good. It makes Karens viable, which is super cool. Yeah, the Karens is, is a great uh, counter for Mew or anything, a charmed Arceus as well. Do you ever Karens uh, KO a Mew? Well, I did once, and then the other time that I... And I would have probably won the game either way. And then um, the time, the one time I actually needed it, I had to research it away the first first turn, which was unfortunate. Big rip. Yeah, really could have used the second one, and then the other one was um, Rod, but we'll save that story for a little bit, I guess. I know. We have to tell the story now. And I walked into this hotel okay. room at 10-something in the evening, Shout out to Revenge, too, for giving me a ride from the airport. I assume Revenge listens to the pod. If not, you see him in Azul's chat all the time. I got there. Grant has list laid out, and there were two ordinary rods yep. in this piece. Which is, one is good, because you play around Echoing Horn. But the second one, oh, literally the worst choice you could possibly make. <laughs> okay. So I built the deck. The deck's fine. The deck is fine to play against anybody. I I knew obviously Mew was going to be a tough matchup, and so one closed deck list, so you can play kind of whatever you want. They don't know what you're going to do, so they see the rod. They're like, okay, that's great. You get rid of it. They're like, okay, now I'm good. Uh, you know all these things. You get the second one. It's great. The problem is, you know, you're, you've got to research, you got to draw cards, you're going to lose one. The second one would have been so useful. The other, the other thing is you prize fighting energies, and something dies, you have to attach a fighting to Arceus, it dies. It, it has so much utility, uh, I don't think it's really a dead card. But yeah, Mello comes in, he's like, you're just, a, you're an idiot for, for playing this. And basically, you know, <laughs> he comes in, he uses his, he's like a big streamer man, you know, he's eight feet tall, you know. <laughs> Uh, he's like number one Pokemon podcast, you know, just, you know, using all of his clout, like, why would you play that? <laughs> so my grant rant is basically don't let other people dictate, you know, if you have a deck list and you feel good about it, stick to it, you know, hold yourself accountable. Don't have that feeling like, oh, you know, big streamer man, you know, bullied me. Uh <laughs> I'm always going to bully Ordinary Rod. I hate that card. I don't hate it, but it's like... I hate it. <laughs> I, hate I, it. I had the list. I played, <laughs> I'd been playing it for weeks. I had it whittled down to, to how I liked it. You know, I, I put in all the text, and we kept it under wraps. I even had the Caitlyn in there, which I think is a great card. Um, just because you, you can't give up a bunch of cards researching them away. And against Mew, you build up a hand of like 15 cards sometimes, so you can put 7-8 back and draw them and pull off whatever combos you need to. Once I actually read Caitlyn, I actually didn't hate it as much as I did initially. <laughs> yeah, I, every, I, I played it in almost every game. It was much better than the Avery. Uh, and, you know, everyone had to read it. 
And the best part is, you know, it requires no shuffling. You put them on the bottom. Um, slightly slow player, you know, not really playing IRL ever. So, um, you know, having just pulling six or seven cards out, sticking them on the bottom and drawing, that number's easy. <laughs> yeah, for those right, who don't and... know, Caitlin lets you keep your hand or keep certain cards in your hand and then draw for everything you put on the bottom of the deck. So it's not good. But in Duraludon against Mew, I definitely see the merit to the one of Caitlyn. Because you get to keep your combo pieces and draw cards because you're just drawing naturally off the top. So don't go play Caitlyn, but... Or do. There, there's a world where Caitlyn's actually not a terrible team. Not, not really, but there is. Just remember, Marnie, Marnie rotates soon, and everyone's wondering what's that next you know, secondary supporter. Marnie's the the hand disruption for you until the what's the other card, the new one. Oh, I don't even I know, but the one where it's yeah. like draw six, they draw two. Yeah, so that's only if you're like cleaner onto the game, though. Right. Yeah, so hand size is going to be bigger. I think Caitlyn, get your full art Caitlyn's now, um, or don't. Yeah, I see Zinnia's in chat now. Yeah, Roxanne. Yeah, that's the name. Yeah, Zinnia's not good because you're discarding. This is. You gotta keep your cards. If you want to discard, use an Ultra Ball. I love Zinnia. I want Zinnia to be meta. No. <laughs> I'm in. This, this is our entire time in the room. Somebody says something. We don't agree on anything. No, we all played... <laughs> well, correction. They both played Arceus Duraludon, but if you saw their lists, you would never assume that they work together. <laughs> yeah. And I played a completely different deck. Yeah, so Locke, Locke, why don't you talk about your list? <laughs> well, let me let me go on to uh, continue on Boo's uh, grant rant here. So, yeah. like, I'm I'm actually kind of with Boo on this because uh, I know Azul says the exact opposite of this statement about there's no such thing as a play style in Pokemon. But like, if you're every individual has like preferences and like different like weaknesses to their game and strengths to their game. If Boo's weakness to the game is like, oh, just mismanaging off like research or Marnie and stuff like that and retreating, then like his tech of second rod would benefit him way more than like an, a regular player or somebody else, you know, that's that has a strength of being conservative with the research or whatnot, you know? So. And yeah, I think I said this on stream too to go off of my actual agreement with Locke to an extent is I was playing uh, Hoopa Moltres and I had the energy retrieval in there and people were like that card sucks. And I'm like, there's something about playing a card you put in the deck knowing exactly why it's there that really does help. If you know why a tech is there, then it does make a pretty big difference of like everyone else isn't playing it but it's working because i know in these situations i need to use this card and it's here for this there's something about a list that you built yourself that tends to make players play better because it just lets you know your deck and your matchups a little bit better i still think ordinary rods trash but i do agree Fair. with Locke. yeah and the and the other thing about it too one yeah it definitely helped against mew um it also let me play less energy hmm. technically i guess which is a one-to-one -one trade but um more yes. utility i guess because mu mu's going to target down your stuff early anyways and you're going to need you only play two basic 
Duraldons, and uh, you know if you can't get the mustard off, because uh, you get big hands again, like we we're saying. Um, so there's there's some utility in there, and that is the uh, reason the also first one for the rust. The first yeah, one was right. like we all agreed the first one in the list because you just shuffle back for the echoing horn plays, which makes the Mew matchup way better. Yeah, and I actually think yeah. moving forward might still be the correct way to play Duraludon. Yeah, you, you have to. And the other thing, like you have to like get two Arceus down half the time your first turn because they're going to they're going to pull off the combo ninety percent of the time. You just have, you play like they're going to do it. And it might not be smart, but like if you can, you try and do it just so you can get at least um, whatever the V's attack is. Trinity charge. Uh, yeah, so you can mm -hmm. at least power power something up because if you don't, then why are we playing? Yeah, that is one of the cool things about Argus Duraludon. The more I played it when I was testing the deck is like I never have to Trinity Nova with the V Star. If I Trinity charge, I'm perfectly fine. Yep. And I think a lot of decks can't really say that. Like straight Arceus, I Trinity Nova instead of Trinity Charged and still won plenty of those games, but it doesn't feel good. Powering up a Duraludon feels very good because that thing is yeah. very beefy and hits very hard. Yep. And I had the Hyper Pots because we're playing the four turbos. So it's easy to, to heal it and make it a, a three shot. And then you, and usually you want them to take five prizes. And then you Karen's. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I didn't like Karen's when I tried it, but the merit of Karen's is always so appealing. Yeah. Two Karen's is even better. <laughs> <laughs> Grant, how'd you finish? Uh five four. Let's One go. Three versus you. Yeah. It was a winning record. Um uh and to what we said in the uh I guess it's not even a cold open, but you know th this game has good draws for you, lucky draws, lucky things. Uh, you know, hit, I hit a boss off of um, a uh, whatever you call it to win, and then the next game the guy hits his one double turbo to be able to attack with the uh, intelligence for game. You know, at time, you know, turn three of time. So it's like. You win some, you lose some. Uh, so I think five four is fine. I, I, again, I, I built the deck to beat Mew or ha to have a chance against Mew to go one three was unfortunate. All the games were close, uh, and all the guys that I played were nice at least weren't lording there. Like uh, Azul played um, Mew, and if he had beat me, I'm sure he'd be lord over me with his streamer power. But that's fine. I had a great hand too. That's the problem. It's gonna beat him easily. Yeah, if you say so. Mm -hmm. That goes back to actually last week's episode uh, with Pedro talking about the mental game and the stuff like that. I didn't realize until this... Like, I knew it, but I didn't really realize until this weekend how big that stuff is. Just like the, the confidence and the way you say things and the way you sit is just like so absolutely massive. And like, there were some people I sat down against and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I just win. Just like looking yeah. at the way they carried themselves, it's like they're not confident at all right now. And they're gonna make something they're gonna make some sort of misplay along the way. Yeah. I, I definitely also a big streamer man now. Yeah. Compared to two years ago. Yes. 
I definitely took a lot of those things to note that, you know, as a first timer, I thought maybe I'd have some nerves or something. Um, but I just sat down confident, like, I'm going to roll the dice and and you're going to call it like you're not I'm not going to wait for you. Uh, you know, little things like that, putting my card down, you know, asking them to cut first and just sort of controlling the the board state for the most part. Um, and then we talked about it. I think after day one, the conversation, you know, as it gets later in the day, we were both sort in the middle round. I was four two. I think you were four one. Four one one at that point. Four one one. Yeah. So we were both in the same sort of spot, and my match, my match started getting progressively more chatty. Where yours mine went got, the opposite <laughs> way. Yeah, yours got more serious, and I'd rather be more serious, uh, just because uh, again new to the IRL, especially regional, 700, 600 people, whatever. Uh, you know, you got to keep your focus through the day because it is way more tiring than I thought it'd be. <laughs> yes. But playing cards, sitting down playing cards is exhausting. Yeah, for anyone who wasn't at Salt Lake and this will be your first season, we cannot underestimate how hard nine rounds best of three Pokemon plus all the social interactions Plus all the downtime, because it's not 50-minute rounds. It is an hour and 20-minute rounds, essentially. It is exhausting as heck. And some time between. And I don't want to take anything away, because meeting everybody I played, I played uh, some really cool guys. Really nice to meet them. Um, and it, it was an enjoyable experience. I don't want to take anything away from the, the conversational style, but I would prefer you know to keep it quiet and focused. But I can see where... You know, the day wanes on you. No, this is where I think this is one of my biggest things as far as like going back to Pedro's kind of controlling everything and yours like controlling the board state and stuff. I'm going to talk in a game. I'm an introvert. I hate talking to people, but the whole game, I'm going to talk. I'm going to crack some jokes and uh, you better remain on your focus. <laughs> when, it, when it was happening, I was I was trying to use it to to my advantage, like when when they're making a decision, which seems like kind of bad sportsmanship. Like they're trying to think and you're like <laughs> talking to them. Like, well, if you're going to talk when I'm thinking, I'm going to do it even harder. I'll oh, see. I talk when I'm thinking, which is, I don't you're know. It's yeah, it's exactly. I'm just like <laughs> saying words and I'm cracking jokes. It's fun when my opponent will like join me in it, but uh, it doesn't happen that often like sometimes they will and then as the game gets more serious they will stop which makes sense i 100 percent understand that i will also get very quiet when the game gets serious sometimes but uh i'm a, I'm a big fan of just like goofing off <laughs> the entire yeah. time so five four is right. very impressive for a first regional that's definitely something to be Thank proud you. of for sure a winning record is it's good that is better than probably half the field at least i don't know where you ended up placing yeah, um, I I think top two fifty six or something like that, which would be great. But you know, I was there. I'm so far behind on points because of this. You know, the the whole situation we're in. Um, so it's it's unfortunate not to get points, but um, I'm I'm not disappointed with the results either way. Locked you run uh, run through your tournament. <laughs> I had <laughs> yeah. So I was actually at the bottom table, like, and I went two and six. Because uh, this was actually the very first time I I touched physical cards 
since Collinsville Regional, the very last regional. So two years. <laughs> yeah. And I actually only did like two practice games in the in standard format before even even uh playing this regional. So but I would say like ninety percent of my misplays was just like first time IRL type misplays and not just like being bad at the format because like it, it was just such a dis- different adjustment in like analyzing your hand on PCCGO versus like IRL because like when I'm in PCCGO I do it the same way as when I'm like was a pro blackjack player I just go card one is better than card two card two is worse than card three card three is worse than card four card four is better than card five and I can instantly just do it with every every hand in like a second. So it always like kind of like bugged me when I see a streamer go, Oh, I ultra ball uh this one and uh maybe uh this one. But like when instantly I just know how to sequence ahead in PCCGO. But like IRL, I do I did the same exact thing method, but like at least in like three of my my rounds, I already won game one, and in game two I had game in hand, and I just like ultra bomb or like researched my win away, <laughs> and then I just like missed an attachment in game three, and I just lost. <laughs> yeah, I so. think I think everyone like even as good as my finish was, the amount of oh IRLs different than PTCGO misplays I made is embarrassing, and we'll get to those later. But you're not oh, alone yeah, on I, that one, Locke. <laughs> Yeah, I misplayed at least once a turn. And these are like misplays I knew I made. So I would say I I at least made three misplays a turn, probably. And as an Arceus Duraladon, you make like three actions a turn, so. Yeah. Yeah. I had one that noticeable misplay. I mean, I'm sure a lot of my play was bad but like one noticeable one. And that's just, and it's bad board state, like not keeping a clean board um attaching to the wrong duraladon uh, i'd put two and one and i attached to the one with one and tried to attack with only two energies uh but i wasn't punished never punished but it's like that's just part of the part of the irl is you, know, you can't <laughs> see all your energies so keeping a clean board state i think was the big another big takeaway and I, and I try and do that anyways, but you know when you're trying to play fast and a best of three, um, you know especially if you lose game one, you're you're trying to play quick. Yeah. Oh yeah, Stakes. I will say that I did finish all my games with like fifteen to twenty minutes to spare, even against the people that went that had three ties. So there is something to be said about keeping a clean board state too. To go back to what Grant said, because. It sounds silly that you'd make that mistake, but Grant did it. I had one opponent do it at a very, very pivotal moment at the top tables. So, like, it is very realistic that this type of thing is going to happen. If you're just used to having a messy board state, sometimes it's like, oh, wow, wait, there wasn't an energy there, and I assumed it was one that was hidden. And then anything else on your tournament lock before I ramble on? Eh, Go ahead. Okay. (laughs) 
So for me, there's a lot. And I put out a YouTube video where I talk like 20 minutes about all the matchups and stuff. So check out youtube.com slash mellow underscore magikarp or just mellow magikarp. There's no underscore on there to uh, hear all the details. I'm not going to go that long on this one, but I locked in Arceus and Teleon. You got 12th place. You boys goaded. GG's. Well played. All that good stuff. Um, Day one, I actually lost round one. And this is something that I do want to talk about because it's very easy to get down on yourself after losing round one and say, well, I'm screwed. I hit someone playing Rapidark Urshifu VMAX. They had a 2-2 line in their deck, which was... It just absolutely bodied me. I played no Dunsparce. I played no Bench Barrier. They were just able to, like, Rapid Flow plus Gale Thrust, and it was disgusting. I got demolished in that game. Shout out to Jonathan for making Day 2 with the cool Arceus, Rapid Strike, Urshifu, Galarian Moltres, Jank Box that flowed incredibly well. So uh, I got absolutely demolished round one. And instead of letting it get me down, I was like, well, I hit the one bad matchup in the room. It's all going to go up from here. And then uh, it kind of did. I had multiple Gengars who bricked. Uh, one of them, again, shout out to Blake, listener of the podcast. I appreciate those of you who pointed out you listen to the podcast. Uh, I don't know if anyone else who played me was like too shy to say it, but I'm going to shout out those of you who did. So shout out to Blake, who unfortunately dead drew because, you know, the deck is kind of a giant pile of Gengar mess. And then round five is another one I want to touch on. I hit Alex Shemansky, and I got bodied for something I preach about on stream all the time. I had no win condition in deck because I prized my last boss. I'm not blaming that. I should have been a good player, realized it. And by the time I realized it, I was like, we only have one turn left anyway. Maybe my opponent misplays. My opponent's one of the best players in the game. I should have just scooped, saved those last couple of turns, because then by the time game three came around, I had taken three prizes. My opponent had taken zero by the time time was called at turn three. I win 100% of the time. (laughs) And instead, I end up with a tie, which was super unfortunate. And then I hit a Mew. I hit a mirror match. The mirror match was incredibly fun. That was, oh gosh, anyone who played Zoropod, play the Arceus and Teleon mirror match. It is super fun. The Sharon's care, the resource management, knowing when to do what, knowing when to boss is just super, super, super fun. We only finished one game in the 50 minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was so cool. Uh, of course, I'm saying that because I won. If I lost, it probably would have been a different opinion, but it was fun regardless. And then round eight, I hit uh, my first win, and then I ended up hitting Andrew Scott, who played the same deck as Ian Robb and Nicholas Moffat uh, to an extent, and essentially a caped Zapdos absolutely bodied me, which was super cool because both my losses so far are to fighting stuff. And then round nine, I hit Brandon Johnson playing Mew. And this was the most disgusting victory I've ever had in my life because I have no business winning this game. He pops off with Mew as absolutely botting me. The Meloetta turn one KO on the Arceus that I had to start. It's like, well, I have Marnie and Path in hand. And I proceed to Marnie Path. Somehow he bricks for the rest of the game. <laughs> I'm able to set up another Arceus. He's never able to attack again. Essentially never able to attack again. By the time he attacks again, my Moltres just Oko's for game. But it was ooh, the amount of just praying to Arceus that we had to do to make it into day two and sticking the path was 
it was a thing of beauty. Shout out to Path of the Peak for winning me many games this weekend. And then losing me <laughs> so many as well. <laughs> so I'm 61 heading into day two, feeling honestly not great. I am literally just like, I hope I get top 32 points. I will be happy. That's $250 and a box that I can sell for another like 70 bucks. Golden. That's the dream, right? We roll in. Round one of day two, it's like 7.30 in the morning. My opponent flips over a Mew. All right, we got this, right? They're playing Pokemon Catcher. I won the coin flip. I have an Arceus on the bench. Catcher, Tails. Catcher, Tails. I'm like, yo, I've got a chance. Genesect's into the last catcher. Hits a heads, and I'm there. My heart is stopped. It's like, bro, I just bodied. I automatically lose. No chance. And he has no damage modifier. And then I proceed to absolutely body him. <laughs> Shout out to Steven. Sorry it happened that way. But also, it's better to be lucky than good. And I will take the luck on that end. <laughs> no damage modifier. But he did hit the heads eventually. So we take those. And then round 11, I hit Michael. Michael's a listener to the podcast, despite some questionable takes by me. <laughs> Shout out to Michael for just straight saying that, <laughs> too. <laughs> Playing Mew, and again, Path of the Peak, the savior. I have no business winning against Michael, <laughs> except Path of the Peak bricks him both games, <laughs> and I do well. I am not above, like, I played to my outs and all that good stuff, but ooh, Path is a heckin' good card. Round 12, we hit Avrin. Avrin, who is a very good player, has his world's invite. The quietest game I've ever played. <laughs> I was trying <laughs> to chat the whole time, and he had nothing. He had none of it, bro. Avrin's just like, I'm here to body you. And uh, got a little lucky. This goes back to the luck. I am dead drawing. I have played zero supporters. Okay, I'm going to scoop if I don't top deck. I top deck a Marnie. Sick. I'm living. Marnie into another Arceus, powered up, we're good to go. All I had was an Arceus on the board. He takes a KO. Alright, I'm playing the game for another turn. I'm like, uh, I guess I have to scoop now. And then I top deck like another Marnie or a Sharon's or something, and I'm like, alright, sick, I get to play the game. <laughs> Three separate times in this game, I'm like, I'm scooping if I don't top deck, and I top deck something, and it was oh so good. Then to end the game. My opponent is flipping for, what is the call? Uh, pin missile. Four coins. Has to flip two or more heads. I literally, out loud, pray to Arceus for tails. He flips one heads and three tails, misses the KO, and I take game, and I'm on top of the freaking world now. I'm 3-0 in day two. I am... Two wins away from making top cut or one win and a very, very risky ID from it. Your boy's feeling good. We're 9-3-1. Then, then, this is when it happens. I hit Drew Kennett, the eventual regional champion, playing Gengar, B-Barrel, etc. Game one, I start Moltres going first, going second, going second. I start Moltres going first, draw for turn, scoop. Immediately. There was no win condition at that point. Like, even if he misses the KO, there's no top deck that lets me come back there. So I scoop game one on turn one. Game two, take the dub. Game three, shout out to PTCGO for carrying me all this time. Ya boy forgets 
not one, but two quick shootings in the game. So Drew comes in with his fresh Gengar VMAX, 320 HP. Goes down to one prize by boss killing my Sobble. Very heads up play. He won the regional for a reason. If he doesn't kill the Sobble, I Drizzile for boss. I have three cards left in deck. One is a boss. 33% chance I win. I don't top deck it. Oh, I'm so unlucky. Except my Moltres hits for 270. The quick shooting makes it 290. The two missed quick shootings is the exact math, the KO. And I would have quick shooting it. It was a very obvious quick shooting the Gengar on the bench. There was no other option that was correct. I absolutely threw by not using freaking quick shooting ever in the game because <laughs> the card wasn't glowing. Did you I, not see it in your head? Like, I saw green around my cards. No. <laughs> I always put quick shooting on the left of the board. And because of that, I'm not looking at it. And because of oh. that, I forgot to use quick shooting more often than I remembered to use quick shooting in the stupid tournament. It was so bad. <laughs> the amount of turns where I'm like, oh, I forgot to quick shooting that turn. Oh, I forgot to quick shooting. That turn was embarrassing. The card was essentially just a dead card the entire tournament because I never freaking used it. It was so Your bad. Opponents are like, this guy's a streamer? <laughs> yeah. This guy's right an now, idiot. You ability used yeah. I yeah. have them. That's the worst part. I evolve into oh, quick no. shooting and I put the ability used marker right next to it so I don't forget. <laughs> oh, no. That's even worse. literally the worst throw imaginable it's just it's not even like oh i missequenced oh i didn't boss when i was supposed to i didn't use the stupid ability that was already on the board because i knew my win condition was to use quick shooting to get through a gengar (laughs) so we lost game three to drew of what should have been an easy dub eids into top eight i end up having to play one more game and I hit, this is another one I want to talk about. I hit Shane, Shane's first regional. Shout out to Shane for doing so well at his first regional. And in the matchup, Shane is playing Arceus Malamar VMAX. Again, look, streamer luck is real. This matchup is living proof of it. Shane offers the ID to guarantee top 32. I think we're safe for top 32 regardless. I want to play it out. And then I feel bad because when we're waiting for prizes, Shane got 33rd place. But then someone got DQ'd. So shout out to Shane for getting top 32. Anyway, game one, he Malamar V Max does a max jammer, right? My three card hand, completely dead. Shoves like a capture energy on the bottom or whatever. Top deck, Ultra Ball. Into the shady dealings in Teleon, into a research. And at that point, he has no more win conditions <laughs> because I'm able to, I have a training cord in hand and I have like something else in hand, like a boss. So if he max jammers again or he Oleanas, I just have game. So your boy top decks out of it for like the seventh time in the tournament. Because if you only play good cards, you only draw good cards. Then game two, my opponent prizes all of their V stars. And all of their V Maxes. <laughs> so I'm playing against Arceus V Malamar V. <laughs> and we take those. We have, I am not above taking that dub. So it's better to be lucky than good. <laughs> we end up winning and we ended up getting 12th place because stuff happens. Got our two booster boxes that I'm going to be too lazy to open. Got our CP. We're up to 660 on the year. So top 16 is not getting there, but maybe the day two of Worlds. 
It's a heck of a tournament. I think I played very cleanly if you ignore the quick shooting plays. Very few other misplays on my end. And some very fun games <laughs> overall. <laughs> In a normal day? No, the luck... The luck wasn't it's like pure luck, right? Like I did properly thin my deck. I did play to my outs. The odds of top decking were what they were, right? Like I got Marnied into a dead hand knowing the bottom cards were still dead. I didn't shuffle the deck to like, oh, thin the deck. Like I still played to my outs, right? It wasn't just like complete luck, but the luck was on my side just a little bit. And we do take those <laughs> for sure. Everything good as <laughs> Thank you. Are you ready to get some yeah. questions from Twitch chat? Yeah. Sure. Can't wait for these. All right. Uh, oh, I have to do ones that we haven't already talked about. Blaine asks, what should I eat before regional to get so top 16 like a fish I know? Fish food. Fish breakfast. Well, we had, we had salads, so. though. <laughs> yeah, before was... day two was a salad. Yeah. Yeah, I'd never eat I... breakfast, period. I had cliff bars. Some granola, some beef jerky. Yeah, definitely. And before uh, you say anything in chat, it was actually one of the nicest uh, Caesar salads we ever had. So good. Bro, yeah. anyone insulting salads, you're in the wrong channel. You're listening to the wrong podcast. Salads are delicious. If you're in Salt Lake, shout out Bartolo's. Uh, Sugar. Sugar House, yeah. Yeah. Wacky name is awesome, though. Yeah. You want to sponsor but, the yeah, Bartolo's? Yeah, I would uh, easily take a sponsorship. Yeah. Yeah, this chicken that was like confit overnight or whatever and like lemon and duck fat, so. Yeah, I bought some uh thighs. I'm going to I'm going to make them tomorrow. I've got the I've got the urge for that. <laughs> so good. <laughs> and everything else, we the porchetta and the yeah, the ricotta spread, the, their bread that was focaccia is awesome. Not Snapdragon asks, do you think the meta is healthy right now? Yes, for the most part. Why? Uh, there's still a lot to explore. Um, other than Mew, okay, we can talk about my fix for Mew. So my first thought was to make Meloetta Prism Star. And I realized that doesn't really fix it. So then I thought you make VIP Pass a Prism Star type one of but you can play it any turn so it's just a one of so because it's tougher to find then you know that's really the that was really the issue i guess playing against muse you know they're they get a genesect they're drawing for it to lay down mellow at another genesect or mellow at an i guess it doesn't really matter if it's a mute because they're playing uh turbo so but just getting them on the board and then you know rope and you're dead like come on can i play so that's my thoughts the fix mew other than that i think mew's still not i mean it's obviously the best deck out there like as far as just consistency and power but um just Ar arceus in general is so cool i didn't get to play much in the zoroark so i don't know about all these different variants but that sounds like that's what it is right now yeah kind of where you can yeah. You can mix and match stuff, partners, and and come up with some pretty cool stuff. And we're we're just getting it, you know, cracked right now. 
I think I liken the deck that I played to it's Zoropod meets Picarom, because it's Picarom because Arceus lets you play off the board, but Zoropod because the Inteleon engine, like Zoroark, lets you have access to anything you want. It's just in a different way, tutoring versus raw draw, and the Acerola versus Sharon's is also another pretty big interaction that feels kind of the same way. So there, there are Zora comparisons for sure. Uh, as far as the meta is healthy right now, yeah, about as healthy as I think it can be. Everything given, like I had fun over the weekend playing all of my games. They all felt very interactive. As much as I made it sound like, bro, I got so lucky in all these games, like there was a lot of decision making to be made through everything. And part of that is the deck I played, right? Like the Intellion engine, in addition to the Arceuses and having supporters like Sharon's versus supporters like Research and Boss and knowing what to Starbirth for. Because yes, sometimes you have to Starbirth for like double turbo energy and research or something like that. But a lot of times you need to Starbirth for other stuff. And you save the Starbirth, you keep it, you play the path knowing that your opponent just might not bump it and you get absolutely bodied if you don't Starbirth now. You know, there's like all this other like decision making to be made. So I think. It's not the best format in the world, but after playing this weekend, it didn't feel awful. And it feels like back when ADPZ was a deck and, you know, the ADP players or the people playing against ADP are like, this format sucks. Everything else around it feels fine and Mew kind of feels the same way. When you play against not Mew and you don't play Mew, everything's kind of fine. But then yeah. again, Mew is the best deck. <laughs> so yeah. uh, it's still not the best format in the world. Uh, Zeta at Zeta TV asked, what is the best way to improve? I got better with time and experience, but I feel like I've hit a plateau. So for this one, I, I could probably, oh, yeah, lock, I actually, this is a perfect one for you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the easiest way to improve is just playing with like another person because like, I'd say like the average player probably misplays like six, six times a game. But when you play your game, you're not going to know you're, you're misplaying. So that way, if you play with someone else and they have another thought process than you, and they see more lines of play than you do, then you just open up your like imagination of saying, oh, instead of just going down this same exact ladder that I always go down, I can like, hop over and take different paths of, to ensure my victory. Like Even like even the games that I won, I still misplayed every single turn. And I was still doing my straight up 200 damage a turn. It, does, it doesn't mean that like I played smoothly. I still misplayed every single turn. And I could have saved so many more resources by like just playing better, you know? Especially IRL, that's just such a big thing. Because you can play open-handed, you can take plays back, you can ask your opponent things which I think is underrated. When I've tested with people IRL, I'm like, hey, what should I boss here? Like, what would you, like, what, like, what as the Mew player do you not want me to KO? Is it the Meloetta with the fusion energy or is it the Mew, right? And like, ask your opponent those questions when you're testing for fun and give honest answers too, because you're trying to help each other. So yeah, I, Locke has a great suggestion there. Test with someone, ask each other questions, say, hey, what is the optimal play here? What should I discard here? What do you think? What do you not want me to do? Like as the Mew player, for example, what is going to disrupt your board state the most? 
And asking these types of questions is going to teach you a lot about certain matchups and certain decision-making things and all that good stuff. Yeah, it's not even like in the game. It's like, if I had this, this would be that. And so what are the odds of it? Like, you could go down the entire, like, situational tree and kind of think through it. And so that helps you just game awareness, too. Like, okay, they got rid of this early on. What what implications does that have later on that you might not think about normally? Because on um, PTCGO, you can just click the button and see it. But, like... And paying attention and, and learning these things and, and you only prepare for that by really reps you know and it helps having somebody to talk about it with yeah like even yesterday it was like it was like Boo's first time playing the Santa Conda thing and I was like he just needed a boss game and was like, he kept digging for it but there was awesome ways to dig for that he would have wanted like a turn earlier instead of just like getting the boss a turn later so. I don't like to do things the easy way. Sinichi, <laughs> last week's guest, asked, question for Mellow underscore Magikarp. What should I play in Liverpool? Thanks, heart emoji. Uh, something with Arceus. I think if I were going to Liverpool, I'd pick Arceus. If I were as good of a player as Pedro, I would play Arceus. Arceus feels like it rewards good play more than Mew does. I mean, Mew rewards good play, obviously, but I think there's a reason we saw the best players playing Arceus at Salt Lake City, including people who said Mew is the best deck, nothing beats Mew, suddenly flip over to Arceus when everything mattered and beat the Mews as well. So I think between Mew having a target on its back and Arceus just offering so many options, that is definitely the move. I would lean towards for sure. Even then, again, I'm going to quote my opponent again, playing against Alex Shemansky, he whiffed, right? Just, oh, Mellow, you're so lucky. No, he even said, Mew is a lie. <laughs> like, this was not the first time that he had whiffed in that tournament, and it turned out not to be the last one either. And I don't know if Azul would say the same thing, but Mew is a lie. Mew is very good. The BDIF, for sure, but also, I want to have control over my game more than Genesect gives me. Fair. Callie Too Cool asks, is Australia bad at playing against Mew, or is NA bad at piloting Mew? I think people are just ready for it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, everybody, every, everybody knew that they were going to play, play Mew or play against a ton of Mew. So and they every... brought a lot of counters to Mew. So. Right. Yeah, I also think it goes with like the testing groups. The best testing group in Australia brought Mew. The best yeah. testing groups in NA did not bring Mew. Like right. outside of Azul and Caleb, I'm not sure if any other people that I would consider top top players played Mew. And that does make a difference. Like <laughs> the difference between yeah. the best players and the even above average players is pretty significant like if several every, of my opponents yeah. just didn't misplay and it's like i can't make a comeback because there's no comeback mechanic except waiting for you to misplay victor asks what was the weirdest jank of a deck you saw this weekend i everything i played against was pretty meta the jankiest deck i played got like top 32 or top 64 <laughs> So it, I guess it wasn't that janky. But uh, did either of you play against any jank? I played well, against I would Rayquaza, say that. but I yeah, luck. Yeah. 
Okay, well, <laughs> uh, going on to another thing. In my mind, Arceus Rapid Strike or Shifu was the for very first deck I was going to test when I first saw the deck list, set list of uh, the set. So it was like, oh. a lot of people things want to play Quad Arceus, so you just have a good matchup against Mew, and then against all the other decks you wanted to go into Rapid Strike. So why not pair the two? So. Um. So the, I guess the jagged deck I played against this was probably Doterra. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yo! Shout out to Washington local Kyle Thomas for losing his winning into day two with Torterra. It sucks losing, but Torterra almost made day two. <laughs> so big shout out there. Did you play against any jank decks, Boo? Uh yeah, round well, I mean it's a deck, but it's not a good deck. The round one was Rayquaza. And uh with Arceus or like, no? No, just Rayquaza Bolton. Yikes. Um but the uh table next to me, the guy played just actual B drill. <laughs> like, with, with, with the full line and like all grass energy and I mean, it's cool. He, he won, apparently. Um, Let's go. So, Quad Beedrill. Yeah, sh- sh- shout out to Beedrill. Barrow asks, was Mew just built wrong for the SLC meta? Would it have done better with slightly different lists? And I think it comes down to it's not an easy deck to play. Like, it is as a floor, right? Like, anyone can do well with the deck, technically. But I think it just comes down to the deck was built mostly fine and people just weren't ready for the meta. And at the end, enough misplays that opponents were able to take advantage of. At least I think so. Well, I'll also add that like Mew literally won the tournament the previous week. And this kind of reminded me of Forbidden Light meta where it actually just rotated every single week. Zork won, then Buzzle won, then Malmar won, then Zork won, then Buzzle won, then Malmar won. And it just, every single week, the best deck was the thing that beat the last week's deck. I think people too, like I had Mew ready to go and I hadn't played it for two weeks, but like I've, I've played it. So I think people might just pick it up and say, this is the best deck. I get the gist of it. It still requires, you know, some navigation. Some people might not be ready, you know. Inert G asks, unironically, is Rapid Strike Urshifu the play? Ask Tord. I'm going (laughs) to say a hard no on this one. Just because Mew is too good. Mew was the most populous deck in day two. I played against five Mews overall. Boo, you played against four? Yeah. Locke, how many Mews did you hit? Uh, Just one. Just one? Okay. So yeah. I guess if you're going to hit the matchups lock hit, Rapid Strike Urshifu would work. But uh, the rest of us, like, no, you have to dodge a lot. And people aren't going to not play Mew. Just because Gengar won yeah. doesn't mean I would not play Mew. Mew is very, very good. Yeah. Like, you could sneak into day two next week at Liverpool, but you'll probably be in last place on day two then. Yes. Points. 
I would be shocked if you didn't have the highest conversion rate of any deck into day two at Salt Lake City. Like, not only was it the most populous deck, it also had the highest conversion rate. It just happened that, you know, it ran into some Gengars, it ran into your boy playing some Path of the Peak, and be ready for Path. Any Mew players, please. I beat people who were just playing two to three stadiums, and uh, I think you need the fourth one in there. Uh, TRGTCG asks, you said that Mew isn't dead, but do you think it's going to be harder to play it at a high level at the next regionals? So just give a quick prediction on Mew. Are we going to see one in top eight at Liverpool? Yeah. Lock? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I agree 100%. In fact, I wouldn't be shocked if it wins Liverpool. If anyone's sure. going to figure out how to beat Gengar with it, uh, the Limitless team will be the ones to do that. Sancho asks, did y'all have any time to face off against each other? No, your yeah. boy doesn't touch his deck the day before a tournament. And it worked again. <laughs> I was throwing down $1,000 challenges and no one would take me up on it. So, I mean, I, I would say... I'm, I'm a free win. <laughs> I actually have played a $1,000 game of Pokemon before, so... That is a brave man. <laughs> I don't trust you anything that much. Luck, and also, after day one, everybody was like pretty tired, so we only just ate oh, out God. and yeah. watched the office and went to bed. <laughs> that was a good day. <laughs> yeah, the day one was. It's it's fun just going back and vibing with the homies, though. It's like let's just watch some triple D. And talk about yeah, yeah. how cringy Guy Fieri is, but also how good the food looks. He's the right one to cringe. Yeah, <laughs> do we want to talk about your terrible food take now? Avocados are just worse butter. So we're we're eating a salad and kind of just going over like what you know, I asked like what's your favorite onion? You know, red, white, whatever. Uh and then I was talking about the salad and I was talking to Locke, I'm like, I I've been putting avocado in my salad. Yeah, Locke's like, yeah, it's great. Melo's like, oh, I hate avocado. <laughs> and his comparison is, it's flavorless butter. <laughs> yeah. So, get the pitchforks. Mello hates avocado, and he thinks it's just flavorless butter. He's like, what else do you put it on other than toast? Like, are you spreading it on toast like butter? Because you can still put butter on avocado toast. And then we proceed to list off like 10 things that you could put avocado on. Yeah, no. I like accept avocado because it's like guacamole's on stuff. And it's like, well, I guess I'm just going to eat this anyway. But it's not good. It's like fine. Uh, it's not Avocado fine. appreciates you accepting it. No, butter is just like way better. If I'm going to use a fat when I'm cooking something, it's like butter. But that's, way. You, see, you don't even get what an avocado is. Like, I do. It's just bad butter. <laughs> Why would you put it on anything? Why would you be like, oh, I'm going to add it to my salad? No, you may as well just eat like, I don't, I don't even know. It's like flavorless mush. What, chunks of butter? Do I put chunks of butter on that my salad? That would probably should taste I bake better. A, I, <laughs> are, you ba like, are you like, oh, I, I got to bake a cake. 
I only have this avocado. I really need butter. Why would like, I ever own an avocado? It's just swappable. <laughs> I don't even know where they are at my grocery store. Like, I know where they are, but I don't know where they are in the produce aisle. Okay, I could, I could agree with Mel on... I would never actually buy an avocado at a grocery store just because, like, there's only, like, an eight-hour period where the avocado is, like, perfect ripeness. I bought four today. Well, that's because you make you're it. rich. I can't. <laughs> I if I buy avocados, yeah. I can't afford a house. <laughs> it is bougie. <laughs> Jeff oh, Jubelin dear. asks, "I know you've done some content on prize mapping, but what about prize checking for IRL when the deck isn't neatly sorted? Any tips for that?" Yes. Uh, the biggest tip I have, and Locke, you might have other ones too. Boo, I don't know if you've mastered prize checking yet or not. I'm pretty good. Yeah. Really? Oh, let's go. Uh, the biggest thing is the first thing I always go through is techs. If I need something for a matchup like Clara and Moltres and my dark energy count against Mew and path of the peak, that is the very first path through which one of those are prized. And then we go through all the obvious ones of like, okay, uh, what's my drizzle engine at my basic energy is kind of regardless. I'm going to check those. My boss's orders, how many of those are there? So I'm going through all of the like big, big, big cards. And then I'll eventually figure out what items are prized, maybe. I'll be honest, I will go through most games without counting my Ultra Balls and Level Balls and stuff. It's like, eh, I'll figure that out eventually. That's totally fine. But like, I made that mistake. <laughs> I prized three Ultra Balls, and my search was an Ultra Ball, so I was out of Ultra Balls. I'll see, that's why I just don't prize them. But to be fair, my deck played three <laughs> Ultra Ball, two Evo Incense. So it's like, uh, the odds of prizing all five of them is like, too low to be worth counting. Yeah, I had to raw draw into something that wasn't happening. So there yeah, I do the same thing as I, I do the same thing as Mel. Like first deck through, count the text, second deck through, count the Pokemon, then the third like count the important supporters, so on and so forth. I uh, well my process is like, okay, know your list. Right. That's the <laughs> Oh, that is another very good advice. Yeah. Right. Um, and then, like, know your arts. And, I, like, I try and mix that. Like, I don't like the evolution switch, but I play it because it's distinguishable. Like, other things like that, like a couple golds, maybe a rainbow, full art, uh, whatever color of art looks different. And then I'll sit there and just solitaire myself an opening hand and search the deck. And just try and do it a couple times, you know, when you're just sitting there. If you can afford it, the full art and or rainbow rare and or alt art advice is really good. I think the whole weekend, I wish I had found a full art Clara to play. Because every game, I'm prize checking for that. And it's just so easy to see, oh, the full art's here. We're good to go. Yeah. T. Blad asks, shout out Tyson. Did you ever feel like as a content creator, it had more pressure on you to perform well? This is something I heard uh, Tyson also asked this to Azul, who thought very differently. But I guess there's a difference between a multi-time regional champion and uh, your boy who has had a very successful, I guess, quote unquote, season. It's been like two years now, but whatever. And uh, feels like people don't realize that. Yes, I felt a lot of pressure as a content creator. I have scooped too many online tournaments at 5-0 where I haven't won like any online tournaments and people were suddenly like questioning it, right? Like Mello, when's the last time you won? I'm like, Oh my gosh, bro. I actually have to try hard. So I put a lot. <laughs> I don't think the pressure actually existed, 
I think I put it on myself. Yes, I felt it. I felt like I had to do well in the tournament in order to prove something that I don't know what I couldn't have already proved by doing a CP check and being like, look, we're fine. <laughs> like, we're totally good here. But yes, I definitely felt it. And it's completely unnecessary. And I know it's unnecessary. I'm going to feel it again in Vancouver for no good reason. So when I go try hard and absolutely body you by praying to Arceus, don't feel bad. I just have to body you for the clout. It's okay. <laughs> Boo, if the people want more of you, where can they find you? Okay, this is important. At real Boo CK, one word on Twitter. Drop a follow. Really appreciate it. Um, I was throwing out a lot of tweets this weekend. A lot of uh, views, but no real follows but i appreciate them i don't care about the follows but like <laughs> me and mel are standing there and, and mel's like watch this and he'd tweet like he could tweet like the word fart and he's like look 30 followers <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like I, I got like i got like five thousand impressions and i got like two followers <laughs> like, come on bro you gotta learn the game yeah lock where can the people I took find a, you yeah, sorry i took a <laughs> picture with mellow and i got more followers <laughs> <laughs> All right, my Twitter is the lock with an underscore and a zero. <laughs> and of course, Locke does occasionally stream as yeah. well. Yeah. And myself, you can find me Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube at hello underscore Magikarp. You can uh, rate and review the podcast. Always appreciated. We are now, look, we have the most successful. I'm still, I'm riding this coattail, damn it. We have yes. the most successful podcast host in terms of this season both CP and finishes. Yep. So make sure rate and review, share the podcast with people. Give your boy clout. I feast off. Delicious. That's not actually true, but I I do. (laughs) They they were talking about their Twitter followers all weekend long. I I was mostly making fun of uh, boo. It is very fun. But yeah, uh, real talk. If you can share the podcast with people that way, they can actually start to listen to it. It's very nice that we're not talking on deaf ears and we're getting some players in people's attention that they didn't realize. A lot of people mentioned like, oh, I didn't know who Natalie was until the podcast. And then it was very fun to root for her in Australia. And we're hoping to get more people that we maybe haven't heard of yet who we think are very good players coming on as well. So the more people who get to know different players in the game, the better because... When there's no stream in some places. Yeah, exactly. Like you got to grow the game, right? So that's always really nice. So please share the podcast with anyone. Uh, We're not monetized, so there's no other reason to do it than let's grow the game and help some people get seen out there. And, you know, like we're not even spending a half hour talking about Energy Lotto. We didn't (laughs) even talk about it once. So This has been another episode of... The Lake of Rage podcast. We'll catch you all next week.